Hi, Faded Listeners, Episode 2. This is a remastered intro um, from our original recorded intro way back in uh, March time of 2020. I'm sitting here at the start of 2021, and as you'll notice, if you continue to listen through to Episode 25, um, I've spent some time listening back to our episodes and realized that um, some of the way I portrayed an intro to episodes, um, mainly this one, Episode 2, I've just I've just learned more since then and I wanted to portray this a little differently uh, than originally recorded so uh, thank you for listening we hope really um, that you that you got a lot out of episode one in Chris's story uh, it was loaded and we realized it was long um, as you as you continue through the series you'll notice that the episodes get shorter uh, we really felt like it was important to get the context of his story first and go from there uh, this episode we dive into the 12 steps um, a very foundational tool um, that is a major part of recovery. You've heard it, um, you know, here and there, I'm sure, throughout media and storytelling and, and things kind of around us every day. Uh, but we wanted to really walk you through each of the steps, um, what they are, the importance to um, the way that um, it really helps the journey of recovery. Uh, and then before that, we get into some discussion on just the difference between moderate, heavy, users and drinkers uh, and real addicts and alcoholics. It's important context for you to have as listeners and some basic knowledge um, for you to carry forward as you're trying to understand the world of how um, real addicts and real alcoholics are qualified in, in order to take the first step of, of recovery. So um, again, just, just really basic knowledge um, for you to understand um, and start with so that as you listen to the storytelling and uh, the further portions of the program of this series uh, that you have that context uh, to move forward with. Without further ado, um, this is probably one of my favorite episodes. You'll notice uh, this is early on, and since this is a remastered intro, my mic sounds a lot better. Um, again, I'm learning as I go. I hope you do too. Uh, but thank you for listening. We value you so much. We hope you're getting a lot out of this. Um, and please continue. Ask questions. Reach out to us. Um, we're here to help as many people as possible, and, um, and we hope we can continue to do that. So uh, without further ado, enjoy episode two. Hello. Hi. <laughs> How's it going? Great. Great. Let's continue. Uh, that was fun. The first one was fun. I think we, again, have some some continuing to do as far as where we left off um, on your journey. Um, but before we do that, I want to start this, this episode um, with some education, some definition on um, something that we've touched on together, but I'm not super um, informed on and I think is is a really important part of as we reference things and learn more about this through these episodes uh, that people understand. So, and that is <laughs> the difference between a real addict alcoholic and somebody that uses or drinks moderately or heavily. Mm -hmm. um, the reason for me being, I, I think, you know, we we mentioned our family being entertainers. And I think, you know, lifestyle, there might be a lot of people out there that say, well, you know, I drink and maybe I drink a lot, 
Um, but I don't feel like I have a dependency on it. Um, I'll use myself as an example. Um, I am a big fan of wine. I love learning about wine. I really enjoy um, the art um, and the taste and everything about wine. Um, and I, I drink wine, you know, throughout the week, on the weekends, you know, sometimes I overindulge. Other times I don't, it's, it's for me, I can completely control it. Um, I know others, you know, you'd identify as, oh my gosh, that person has a drinking problem or that person is doing drugs. Um, where do you, where do you determine the difference between, um, yourself? You are a real addict and a real alcoholic. Um, and I know you mentioned that in, in the past episode, where do you distinguish yourself between somebody that is using or drinking a lot and someone that is a real addict or real alcoholic? Mm -hmm. So there's three, just like you mentioned, there's three types of addicts and alcoholics, uh, uh, or three types of, of people. Classifications. Yeah. One is a moderate drinker and a moderate user, which, uh, in my opinion, be you, Me. for example. Mm -hmm. So you, you know, love to have a glass of wine and enjoy, uh, being with a group of people and having a drink or two or whatever. And sometimes you may drink more, but regardless, like, we'll just say at Thanksgiving, you will be sitting at the table eating dinner and eating your Turkey and whatever, <laughs> and you'll have a glass of wine and, um, I will watch you have a glass of wine and you'll drink it until it's almost finished or, or, until it is finished and then you'll stop and get a different drink yep. uh, for example um now that's not every time but a lot of the time right i personally look at that and am shocked because i can't understand how you would want to just have one glass of wine but you are content with that and you don't have that physical piece uh that uh causes you to lose control of the amount that you can take right. uh, that allergy that once it's in your system you can't control it so a moderate drinker or a moderate user is somebody who, uh, somebody who will take a hit of weed at night to go to bed or drink a beer with dinner and then kind of leave it at that. And then sometimes on the weekends, you know, if there's an event like, yeah, they will have drinks, but it's, it's very take it or leave it, um, zero loss of control whatsoever. A hard drinker and a hard user um, can look similar to an alcoholic and an addict. And just to be clear, like it's, it's not my job or anyone else's job to tell somebody if they are an alcoholic or an addict. So like if there's a family member that thinks that they have a spouse or a friend or whatever, uh, who looks like they could be alcoholic, it's not their right to say you are an alcoholic or you are an addict. Um, the, the job or the, position that that people get put in is you're supposed to be able to describe the disease of what it looks like to be a real addict and alcoholic and almost qualify somebody and that's why this piece right here between the hard user and, and drinker and the and the real alcoholic and addict it's really important to know what those two are so hard drinker and hard user they may lose control at times they may look like they could be an alcoholic and they may have drinks, you know, going benders on the weekend and, um, have six or seven or eight or nine beers or, or shots or, you know, whatever it is. And 
in the end game, um, what makes them different from a real alcoholic and addict is the mind piece. Um, they don't have a mental blank spot like real alcoholics and, and real drug addicts do where given a sufficient enough reason to stop a, a hard drinker or a hard user can stop on their own for good right. and for all. So for example, uh, I'm playing softball in a men's softball league or something like that. After that, um, we have beers, we have four beers, right? <laughs> and then I take my two kids home with me and on the ride home, I get pulled over by a, by a mm-hmm. police officer because I had beer in my system and it was over the legal limit. I get a DUI or whatever. And then I go to court and the judge looks at me and says, if you ever come in my courtroom again, I am going to take your children away f- from you forever and you will never see them again. If I am a hard drinker in that scenario, that's enough for me to say I'm done. Right. This put my family in jeopardy. Um, I, I could never live without my kids and, and I need to take a good hard look at myself and stop. So I make this firm resolution. And if I'm a hard drinker or a hard user, I can stop. Um, a real alcoholic and a real drug addict in that scenario will go in front of a, a judge and will look at the judge and say, I will never be in your courtroom again. I learned my lesson. This absolutely scared the crap out of me. And they will mean that from the bottom of their heart, just like I did when I was leaving rehab the first two times I left and I was like, I am going to stay sober. Like I can't take that anymore. I feel good and mean it from the bottom of their hearts and then leave. And whether it's 24 hours later or, you know, a week later or three weeks later, there's some mental blank spot that tells them that it's going to be okay for them to drink again or use again. Um, or the mental blank spot is screw it. It's not a big deal. Right. And that's the baffling piece that, that is really important for people to kind of grasp onto. And, and, um, so, so the difference going back to it is a real alcoholic looks much different from a moderate drinker, right? A real drug addict looks much different from a a moderate user. Mm -hmm. And then the hard, hard user and hard drinker can look pretty similar to a, to a real alcoholic and real drug addict, but given sufficient reason, hard drinkers and users can stop and stay stopped on their own. Right. Alcoholics cannot. You told me a story one time about, and I don't remember the context of it, but it was potentially coming out of one of your rehabs where uh, somebody told you to go to a bar as you would order, Mm -hmm. you know, a beer, order a second beer, order a third and stop after four, take a sip of the fifth. That was Reed. Put it down. Okay. Yeah. So, I would love love for you to explain so that story because I thought Reed's the first man to introduce themselves to me as a recovered alcoholic. Right. We who, heard who, about him last yeah, time. Yeah. He knows his his stuff. And I called him when I was drinking and using. I was doing both. Uh, this was in between the um, second and third time I went to treatment. So okay. this was the last run that I ever went mm-hmm. on or spree that I ever went <laughs> on. And I called him and I said, man, I'm... I'm I feel like I'm doing pretty good with this right now. Like I am drinking, I am doing Coke, I am taking pills, uh, but I don't need it every single day. And, and 
I feel like I'm controlling and enjoying this. And he was like, okay. And this is actually coming straight out of, you know, the 12 steps or whatever. It's, it's really funny. Cause he said, Hey, good, man. I'm glad that you're doing well. And I'm glad you're doing well with it. Uh, go to the nearest bar room and sit down and have a beer and then order another beer and drink both of those mm -hmm. and then leave. And if you do it successfully, go do it again. And what you will find through that experience is the truth about yourself, whether you are okay having a couple of drinks and walking away or not. Right. And I tried and, and the <clears throat> first time that I went and did it, it's almost like sub in my subconscious mind. I was like, there's no freaking way I can do that. <laughs> like, like I may be able to have two drinks, but I won't be happy. Right. I'll be fighting it yeah. um, because it's not doing what I want it to do. It's not, it's not making me feel internally free. Like, like I want it to, it's, it's, not going to produce the effect that I love. Right. So I, I went to a bar. Um, I don't remember the name of the bar. It was in Greensboro. And I sat down with my fake ID because I got sober <laughs> before I was 21. Yep. And I ordered two beers and I drank them. And then literally I, I wasn't even thinking about what he told me to do. I had a, a, a shot of whiskey or a whiskey and Coke in front of me yeah. instantly after I finished the second beer. And, yep. and I, literally didn't even remember the conversation I had with him. Right. And that's the mental piece of it. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. Cause I that's mean, the physical piece of it. Because, sorry, physical. Yeah. yeah. You, you lose control. The mental piece is what occurs when you're physically removed from it mm -hmm. and there's no alcohol or drugs in your system. Okay. The mental piece is the most baffling part because you're, you're completely dry. Yeah. And, and, and that's when your mind is like, it's okay to have that one glass of wine, right? Or it's okay to have those two beers, or it's okay to get a half a gram of Coke and do a half a gram of Coke throughout the weekend. Right. But the real drug addict and real alcoholic will take that half a gram of Coke. And then all of a sudden, you know, yeah, they have an eighth of Coke and heroin and they're like, how did I get here? And that's where the physical part comes, yes. comes in control. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I remember that story, and I've uh, I think for for me, I've definitely, especially after you going through what you did, I've had my own moments of do I have a problem? Could I eventually have a problem? Mm -hmm. When I've overindulged, I say, "Oh my gosh, this is scary. Is this me too?" Mm -hmm. It's I think everybody questions themselves sometimes. Um, I certainly, if you told me I couldn't have a drink for the rest of my life, I'd be able to do it easily, no mm -hmm. problem. Um, and so I think that that's an important classification and clarification for everybody. Um, as we talk more about this stuff is that this is your story. You are a real addict, a real alcoholic. Um, doesn't mean, you know, some of the, the heavy drinkers couldn't use a little help, but it's, it's different. It is different. Um, so I, I definitely wanted to bring that up first before we got into your recovery. Um, and, and there's this real quick, there's this cycle of addiction that for anybody who does have a family member or friend who is struggling. Um, there's a cycle of addiction that if you can picture it in your mind, you can draw it on a piece of paper. And it's a very, very clear outline of if you gave it to an addict and said, is this your experience? And if they can look at it and say, yes, honestly, then they won't be able to deny it the rest of their lives. Right. And what it is, is it, it starts with the spirit piece where you're irritable, restless, and discontent. That leads into your mind, the mental obsession piece telling you you know what? I can probably have a drink or two mm -hmm. and be okay to, to ease this 
hole that I have in me. And then after the mind piece, lead, it leads you to a drink or a drug and, and you go, okay, I can have one drink or one drug and you do that drink or drug. That's when the phenomenon of craving kicks in and the allergy kicks in. And then you go on a spree and the spree can look like a million different things. And everyone has their own experience with this spree. So you have the spirit then the mind and the body and the body leads you onto a spree of a day or two days or a month or six months or whatever. And then after a spree, you emerge remorseful where you're like, how did I get here again? Like it all started with my mind telling me I was going to be okay after being sober for a month or two or whatever. And then all of a sudden I'm here five days, 10 weeks, a year later. And I have no idea how I got to this point mm -hmm. and I feel terrible about it and you yep. feel guilty. And what you do in that scenario is, is you, you, after you emerge remorseful, you make a firm resolution where you're like, I am not going to do this anymore. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to get a girlfriend, whatever it is that, that people who are listening to this have, have, said to themselves or heard family members that have heard their spouses or, or whatever say there's this firm resolution where you're like, I am done and I am done forever. Right. And there's a little window of opportunity there in between that firm resolution and, and the spirit leading back to the spirit piece that <clears throat> it's kind of like your window of opportunity to be like, let's get this person some help. Yeah. And that's also the piece, uh, leading into the mind that differentiates a alcoholic from a hard drinker Interesting. or, or whatever. So. Is that the um, circle that you've drawn for me before? Mm -hmm. I think we should, we'll post that on the Instagram page just to share that. Yeah. Cause I think it's really impactful to see it. I'm a visual person in general, mm -hmm. um, just to see that and, and go, Oh yeah. You know, that makes sense. That's what that guy Joe showed me yeah. when I went to Texas and went to treatment. That was okay. the first thing, the first time after going to treatment multiple times and, being in a 12 step program for a while. It's the first time that I, that I looked at something and I was like, Oh my God, I know what my problem is now. That was I what you it. referenced last time. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's a good segue. Cause you, you, we told the story before about your journey, um, going through really everything under the sun <laughs> to get to, um, first rehab, uh, relapse, uh, second re rehab relapse. And, and what you're describing today is interesting because you really said last time that you never actually recovered before because of that cycle you just talked about mm -hmm. and because of um, the mental and then physical reaction um, that you were having over and over again. Uh, so it's, it's come full circle now to where you are, you're heading to Texas, you get there and you started to tell the story the other day. And I think it was important to just dedicate an episode to this because uh, it's really the, you know, the, the pivotal moment for you was learning a very specific way and a different story from what you had heard before. Uh, so tell us about how you actually got better, what mm -hmm. your recovery was like to get you to being a recovered addict alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, the reason just for, a little background on the word recovered. A lot of people will hear that and be like, I, that's an ego thing. You know, you're, you're, you're trying to say you're cured from this thing mm -hmm. and, and yada, yada, yada. When people say they're recovered from this deal, there's a lot of people in 12 step programs and involved in the community that uh, say I'm recovering. I will always be recovering. Right. And, and 
Uh, it simply means I have recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body. Okay. That is the only thing that it means. It doesn't mean I'm cured. It doesn't cured. It doesn't mean that I'm um, uh, better, less than whatever. Mm -hmm. All it means is that I have recovered from my mental obsession and I am sane around drugs and alcohol now. And if I go near them or if I think about them, I recoil from them as if uh, it's like a hot flame. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah. So when I went to Texas. And you're going in just as a reminder from before you're going in saying to mom, I know I'm going to use mm -hmm. your pattern so far has been, yep, here we go again. Going no in, going to come out, not going to be better. No matter how hard <laughs> I try, yeah. no matter, no matter what I do, you could tell me to, uh, you know, wake up in the morning and, and, you know, walk a thousand miles a day. And I'm going to try that no matter what, because I was willing to go to any lengths in the past. And, and right. for some reason it just didn't stick or didn't work for me. And, um, I was, I was beaten into a state of reasonableness to the point where I was like, just tell me what to do. I'll do anything. But in the back of my mind, I was like, there's no possible way this is going to work. Mm -hmm. So when I, got out of detox and went to Texas and sat in that first step meeting of the 12 steps, which is, um, we admit to ourselves that we are powerless over our addiction or alcoholism and our lives are unmanageable. Um, I had never seen what the definition of a real alcoholic and hard drinker was. And this man put on a board. Um, there is a difference between a hard drinker, or hard user and a real alcoholic and real drug addict. And there may be some hard drinkers and hard users in this room right now. And it's important for you to look at what I'm putting on here so you can qualify yourself. And so I can help qualify you hmm. so you can know if you're in the right place. And what it does is it, it helps you fully concede to your innermost being that you are a real alcoholic or real drug addict and that your life is unmanageable to the point where you can't deny it. And you said earlier that that qualification has to come from you acknowledging that with the help of somebody that is leading a treatment program or how, how no. did, like, cause you can't, you said it can't be a family member, right? It can't just be a family it, member saying it could, or, if it a family be, member showed, showed their son or daughter or the husband difference. or yeah, if they showed them the cycle of addiction and they showed them what a real alcoholic looked like and said, Hey, what is your experience with this up to this point? Yeah, absolutely. You could look at it. And if you're, if you're the real deal, if you're a real drug addict and alcoholic, you'll, you'll say, wow, that's me. You'll get like there. I'm okay. screwed. Okay. You know? And so what it does is the, the best thing that ever happened to me was somebody showing me what the definition of, of, uh, of real alcoholic and drug addict was because it's kind of a, um, uh, anticlimactic, situation because you look at it and you go, Oh my God, I am absolutely screwed. And mm -hmm. I am an, a, a, a okay. Even if I get sober, my mind's going to tell me that I, that I can do it like a normal person at some point in life. So like, what's the point in even trying, like, what yeah. am I supposed to do? Uh, but at the same time with that same thought process, I had been through treatment a couple of times and been through the 12 step program a couple of times that when I finally saw what the problem was, I was like, wow, I think I'm in the right place, you know? And, mm -hmm. and 
um, there was hope in that hopelessness, which is um, difficult to grasp, but, but a pretty amazing thing. So um, my experience was that once, once I was shown that I was like, okay, I think, I think there's something here. I can do this. And uh, I was in that facility for, for four weeks Mm -hmm. and what they did in that facility was they allowed me to go through the 12 steps as fast as I wanted to. Um, that's a very different approach, uh, from, from most places and, and, and most communities or whatever, Mm -hmm. because there's this, this shift that occurred, I think after the fifties, like leading up to, you know, the seventies, eighties, nineties, and now still today where people have, have taken this idea that, you're supposed to go through these 12 steps quickly to become recovered right? insane around it and, and useful to other people. And they've made it their own version where you're not allowed to move through this quickly because you're not healthy enough. And that's what you had experienced. Before. And that's what I had experienced. And I was slow. Yeah. Exactly. And I was told by somebody who was mentoring me in Greensboro I said, Hey, I'm ready to go through these steps. Like, you know, this guy reads telling me go through these steps quickly and start helping other people. And he would bring me to detoxes and he would say, you need to go talk to these people in detox because this is what's going to keep you sober. And, um, because it says that, you know, practical experience shows that nothing will, will ensure immunity as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. So I'm being told that I can't help others. Uh, and I'm being told that I, I can't move through these steps, uh, quickly, uh, yet I'm, I'm begging to, yeah. <laughs> and eventually I got, I got loaded again. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Texas, uh, in this treatment facility, I, I went through, um, the first eight steps within mm-hmm. three weeks and, I went to all the classes and counseling and did all that stuff. But the and most, how long would that have taken in your previous situation? They do like a, a step a month. Okay. In a, in wow. a lot of places, in okay. a lot of places, uh, some places may be a step every three weeks. Yep. Some places may be a step every two months. Right. Regardless, it's, it's Much drawn quicker. out. Right. It's very drawn out in a lot of places. And um, if you're guaranteed a spiritual awakening as a result of going through the work, and you're guaranteed to to recover from this deal. Why would we hold people back from from right. experiencing that, or why would we wait? Mm-hmm. And and that's that's the most frustrating part about it. And that's why I um, I'm so passionate about uh, what we're talking about right now because I experienced what it was like to be involved in a 12 step program and almost die right. while I was trying everything that I possibly could. Right. Um, well, I did die. I overdosed. And so I went through these, these first eight steps, uh, fairly quick. And I remember sitting down with, with my counselor, uh, cause there's a lot of people in rehab that don't want to be there. don't really care. Right. And, and I was just like, get me through this work. Cause I had heard these guys on speaker tapes and yada, yada, yada. And, um, I was sitting down with my counselor. I think his name was Steve and, and, he was like, you seem to be doing like pretty good. You know, where are you at with your steps? And I said, well, I'm, I'm through step eight. I'm ready to go make amends to people and go right the wrongs of my past. And he, he looked at me and he was like, we need to get you out of here. 
Hmm. And, and that's a pretty interesting thing for a counselor in a facility to yeah. do is to say, you need to get out there in the real world because yeah. he was like, I don't want to hold you back from going and, 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 um, finishing this, this work because you're, you're well on your way to become recovered. So he let me out. They let me out, I think like a week later mm-hmm. and I stayed in Kerrville, Texas. And when I was, um, uh, a day out of treatment, my, my, the direction that I got from, from my mentor at the time who was bringing me through the, the 12 steps was to, uh, make a couple of amends in the phone real quick, just to get some freedom around this stuff that was blocking me off. Cause mm-hmm. really what the 12 steps do is they, they take all these, these defects of character within you. Um, and, and, and it helps remove all of them so that you can have a clear, uh, spirit or a clear mind or both and, and therefore be useful to other people and have a perception towards life that is, um, not looking over your shoulder or, or feeling guilty. Right. So the first amends that I made was to mom and I called her and, and the direction that you get from amends are you tell them exactly what you've done to cause them harm Mm -hmm. or what you can think of. And then when you're done telling them what you've, you've done to cause them harm, you say, those are all the things that I can remember that I did to you. Mm -hmm. Now I need to know, um, is there anything else that I've left out? to, to cause you harm that I'm unaware of, Mm. which is an interesting approach and and something that helped me become the man that I am today. Because normally I'll be like, Hey, I'm really sorry. I screwed up a bunch of stuff. Right. And there's no depth or weight to that. Yeah. And and this is why these principles that we'll talk about is actually really positive for anybody. You don't have to be in recovery to to live by this stuff. So, so I approached mom that way. Um, I, I know she was, everyone was kind of tired of me by this point because they were like, look, you've been to treatment multiple times and, <laughs> and it's all ended up being the same thing. They didn't trust me for like nine months. Yeah. Even, that's, that's and, simple. And that's, it's yeah. perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah. So I told her all these things and I said, is there anything else that I've left out? And she said, actually, yeah, I've got a list right here and really? classic mom fashion. <laughs> she like finally took her opportunity to be like, this is what you've done to, to me and the family. And, um, all I did was I listened. Right. And it's, it's interesting because the approach before you were in rehab and before you were getting better, like we talked about last time is to show love, to ensure that the person that is struggling knows you're there. Um, but keeping them kind of not at a distance essentially, I guess, but not giving resources, right. Not giving, giving what they need, um, just sharing love. And now it becomes on the flip side when they're ready to do it, they're saying, I hurt you. I know what else. And that's your opportunity to say, here's how I was hurt here. Here's, you know, how I'm feeling. And yep. that's the right time to do it. Exactly. Isn't that right. Yep, exactly. Cool. And it was the first time I think that she had probably, she probably noticed a shift in me as, as quickly as I did. Cause while I was having that conversation with her, um, I was in the driveway next to a house that I was staying in. And, mm. and I remember vividly, she said, yeah, these are all the things you've done. And there were even a couple things in there that I didn't do, um, but I didn't really feel like it was my place to to say, "Hey, all those things are true except these two things." Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. All I did, and what the direction is by by uh, that I was given through these steps and a mentor was, all you do is you just say, "Now, what can I do to make this right, right. between the two of us?" And 
the reason why that's all the way to the ninth step is because by that point you've gone through this, this shift in perception and you've, you've recognized your defects of character and you've gone through a lot of, um, in self introspection Mm -hmm. to where when somebody does respond to you that way and says, yeah, you were kind of a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. You don't react the way you used to react and try to manipulate the situation. Cause they're all out of the way. Cause they're all out of the way. Awesome. So you made amends and, and then what? Made amends. And then instantly after I made my first amends, uh, my mentor was like, you need to go make more amends and we're going to do that. However, you're ready to start helping other people get sober. So you've gone, you've gone into, uh, a new treatment facility with a completely new perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, you're learning, you're seeing change, um, and you've gone through what you knew to be a long process very quickly and you're feeling great about it. Uh, so what else? So the, the 12 steps are certainly a huge part of it, but it's, it's working at the 12 steps the right way. Mm -hmm. And then what happens you know, once you're out, what, what was the journey after that? I think we'll get into the 12 steps soon. I think it's important that we walk through those, but what was the next, I guess, what were the next couple weeks, months like? Yeah. So my, um, from what I remember when I was 40, I was about 40 days sober, mm-hmm. 35 to 45 days sober. And as soon as I was given the the green light to go help other people, um, I literally took a hold of that and was like, I am going to go help as many people as I possibly can because I feel better than I've ever felt in my life. Mm-hmm. And also um, I know what it's like to be in recovery where you're forced to go slow. And I want to show everyone how to do this quickly so they can get better too. And I was, I was mentoring uh, nine people and helping nine people get sober um, when I was 45 days sober. So where are you living at this point? Are in you Kerrville. in, in a, are you in a halfway house or are yeah, you in, in a, a halfway okay. house, halfway mm-hmm. house and coming out of the treatment facility? Do you have fears of yeah. falling back into it? I'm sure you felt differently, but it, there's gotta be a level of, okay, here, here I go. I'm going back out into the world. Like I did the last two times. Yeah. How are you feeling? I was, I was in fear of what was going to happen in life a little bit, but keep in mind, like there was a a pretty major shift going on within me as a person because I was taking action through the actual work as opposed to just waking up in the morning and like kind of sitting around listening to people tell me what, you know, addiction was, I was actually taking action. And so when I got out of treatment, I was with Christian, Mm -hmm. one of my best friends today, Mm -hmm. you know, still to this day, (laughs) his dad brought me and him to the halfway house. And, uh, I remember he brought us to, to Walmart to go pick up a bunch of food and mom and dad literally paid for my first month of rent at the halfway house. And they were like, we're literally not giving you anything else Yeah. ever. Yeah. You will never get anything else from us. And I think she sent me like $200 in visa gift cards mm-hmm. to buy food. And either someone took it out of the mailbox from the halfway house or it just didn't arrive. And on my life, I didn't get it. So, <laughs> so and I don't think they believed me. Yeah. I don't think they believed me at the time. Um, but you know, Christian's dad brought us to get food. When that ran out, I was having to eat, you know, peanut butter sandwiches from other people's food stashes. And I was asking them like, Hey, I don't have any money or literally anything. Um, I remember making like 
tortillas with peanut butter and then like putting ramen noodles in them and stuff. Like it was like, I was bumming it yeah. pretty, pretty yeah. hard, you know, a real struggle, yeah, real struggle. And, and I honestly can say that, um, I was happier than I had ever been in my entire life. And it, it really provides truth to you through this process that your external scenario and your external circumstances mean absolutely nothing to your internal happiness. Yeah. And, um, that became apparent to me instantly because I was sitting there, you know, with literally $0 for two to three weeks yeah. of, of getting out of there before I got a job. And, um, I was like, I couldn't be happier, yeah. you know? And, and, uh, that was because I was being useful to other people. I think yeah. that what, what most people in this world need, um, uh, is purpose. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if you don't have purpose as a human being, uh, it can, it can feel depressing and lonely. And, and, uh, if you wake up in the morning and you don't have something that, that, uh, fulfills you mm -hmm. as a, as a person or, or gives you that purpose, uh, it can be a drag and, and, um, it can be really difficult to literally just make it through one single day. Yeah. So staying in the moment and being free is difficult. And a thousand percent. I think everyone can relate to that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and I, and I finally felt purpose in my life yeah, and I finally great. felt like I was doing something good and I, and I was, and yeah. so I ended up getting a job at, um, a car wash. Mm -hmm. Uh, when I, this is when I, I turned 21, two weeks after treatment. So literally two weeks after treatment, I was 21. It's amazing we were playing poker in the halfway house or whatever. And I, and I looked at, I looked at a couple of my buddies who were there who will probably end up being on this podcast eventually. And I was like, man, I'm 21 years old. I can legally go walk to the store and go buy a drink. And I have absolutely zero desire to do that. It's awesome. And it wasn't a facade. It wasn't a mm -hmm. front. It was, it was genuine and different real. this time. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's when I, that's when I started to truly realize like, wow, I, I'm never, I never have to drink or, or get high again ever. Yeah. And this is fresh out of treatment. And, and this is different from me saying it and, and actually knowing it right. from the bottom of my heart. Um, so I was working at a car wash uh, for six months, ended up getting a job at a pet supply shop when I got mm -hmm. tired of working at the car wash. <laughs> and one of my uh, vivid experience memories uh, from this process was I was working at a pet store, hated it. I absolutely <laughs> hated it. I, I have ADD and ADHD, so I need to be moving around yeah. and like active. And I would just go in there and just like sit around. I was like, I hate this. So I, I called out of work one day and this is a very uh, big moment in my life that actually changed me a lot. Um, my, my mentor at the time called me because I, I called out of work to go get this tattoo on my finger and mm see -hmm. right. North Carolina. And, uh, with Christian, yeah. he got a Texas flag on his finger. It was really, <laughs> really funny. You got and, yeah. And, um, he called me and he goes, Hey buddy, what are you doing? I was like, Oh, I'm sick. Kind of. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I figured he was like, why aren't you at work? You know? And mm. I was like, what do you mean? And this was the first time he would ever have come in there to, to see me at work. Of course. And, uh, <laughs> I said, man, I can't lie to you. I, I, call out of work. And he was like, why'd you call it a work? And I, was, I started laughing. I was like, cause I got a tattoo. And he was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and he laughed at me, but he was like, listen, man, the universe or God or whatever people listening to want to believe, uh, gave you this job 
and provided you this job. And, and it's going to give you an opportunity to, to have money in your bank account to buy food and do all this stuff. And, and you're just choosing to just throw that away for your own selfish needs. Mm. And it was, it was, it hit me right in between the eyes. And since that comment that he made to me that day, I don't believe I've called out of work one time um, unless I was at the tech company that I was working for and I was yeah. well over my quota and I could. You right. Know? You had, right. You had the I, ability to do I that, cannot right. think of a single time in the past eight to nine years where I have consciously been like, you know what? I don't want to go to work today, so I'm not going to. Yeah. That's because great. of that moment. So many learnings right away. So many. <laughs> I mean, so awesome. Yeah. You're, you, you talk about a, a quick... <laughs> growth experience. And, and that's why I think it's important for people to know that like, if you get to have all those experience in such a short amount of time, why, why would anyone make you wait for that? Why shouldn't everyone do it? Why shouldn't everyone do it? <laughs> why yeah. everyone do it? Well, everyone can. Let's, let's talk about the 12 steps. Okay. Can we do that? Mm -hmm. I, can you walk us through the 12 steps? And I think if it was this, you know, important to your recovery, uh, doing it the right way, I, Talk about them. Let, let's go through them. I, I know some are much more in depth than others, uh, but I think it's great education, just just high level for people. People reference the twelve steps again. We've we've talked about movies and things mm -hmm. uh, in the past episode, but it's referenced all the time. I think everyone has a basic understanding of what the twelve mm -hmm. steps are, but I couldn't name them. Yeah. So <laughs> help us out. They're they're. Um... I'll go through them really quickly, actually, because they're they're all they all kind of connect to each other mm -hmm. and they all kind of lead each other to the next step. And, mm -hmm. and the first one we've gone over a lot. I mean, I think we've spent a couple hours talking about, um, you know, we admitted to ourselves that our lives are unmanageable. We're alcoholics, we're drug addicts. Uh, really step one is, are you a real alcoholic right. or are you a hard drinker? Are you a real drug addict or are you a hard drinker? Or a hard user. So classifying and yourself based classifying. on what we talked about at the beginning mm -hmm. of this is, is what are you? Where yeah. do you fall? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's such a huge piece of this whole picture and such a huge piece of all 12 steps, because, um, if you don't have that, or if you don't understand that well enough, none of it's going to matter. Yeah. Um, if you're not clear on the fact that you are an alcoholic or a drug addict, a real one, mm -hmm. um, going through with the process of, of recovery is kind of, null and void. It yeah. just doesn't matter. So that's, that's step one. Step two is, um, uh, basically becoming willing to believe that there is a power greater than yourselves that can restore you to sanity. Mm -hmm. And what that means is, um, are you beaten down enough to believe that something out there other than yourself, not a doorknob. Some people say like, Oh, your higher power can be a doorknob or, or, <laughs> A group of people. No, it's 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 something needs to be more powerful than that. Yes. So coming to the the belief that something can restore you to sanity from your mental obsession and right. from your spirit. And we're talking about some some people may think God. God. Is that, okay, so God, uh -huh. God, the universe, Buddha, whatever. yeah, the whatever universe, yep. energy. Okay. Um, I've met a lot of atheists mm -hmm. that that shut down really quickly when you start talking about. God and, and, um, uh, every single one of them, I've never sat down with an atheist that, that I couldn't get to admit that they may not know right. if there is something out there okay. or not. 
Um, so, so step two is being literally, this is all it is becoming willing or becoming willing to be willing Mm -hmm. to believe that there may be some type of possibility that there is something out there that is greater than yourself that can restore you to sanity around drugs and alcohol. Do you find anybody, I mean, do people struggle with that? Uh, I know the atheist thing is, is a good example, I guess, but, but so there have been a couple people, I don't know what the amount of people that I've sat down with in, yeah, in, yeah. in recovery is, but a lot. <laughs> with the whole amount of people that I have sat down with, there's probably three people that have struggled with it who mm-hmm. were actually beaten down enough to get better. Okay. So, and those were very strong atheists. Mm-hmm. Okay. And those are my favorite types of people because you get to get really deep and, yeah. and, and, um, however, if you have had a real step one experience and you can fully concede to your innermost self, uh, self that you are alcoholic and, or a drug addict mm-hmm. and your life is unmanageable, step two is actually a pretty simple thing. It's like, yes. you know what? I don't have all the answers and like, I'm willing to believe there might possibly be something out right. there. That's it. It's not okay. even like very intense. It's right. very open. Yes. So you can be an agnostic and be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's fine. So, um, that's step two. Step three is <clears throat> basically turning your will and your life over to the care of God or the universe mm-hmm. or Buddha or yep. whatever it is, um, as you understand him mm-hmm. or it, uh, so that this isn't the exact words of it. I'm right. just paraphrasing it for people to understand it simply so that you can be useful to other people Okay, and, and live free. Um, and, and the whole third step is, is such an eye opening experience when you go through it, because you learn very, very quickly in the third step that, um, your problem is not drugs and alcohol. My problem is not drugs and alcohol. Um, my solution to my problem is drugs and alcohol. Hmm. Uh, my problem is rooted in selfishness and self-centeredness. Um, selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of my problem. And and what, what stems from all of that is all forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. Hmm. And <clears throat> when I'm in fear and when I'm in all this, this, uh, this, these defects of characters, I take action based on self that doesn't rely on something greater than me mm-hmm. um, that normally puts me in a position to be hurt in the long yeah. run or, or hurt other people in the wrong long run. And I'm relying on my finite self as opposed to an infinite um, mm-hmm. uh, being or, or uh, universe or God. So basically you're, you're, you're learning in step one that you have this problem and this is what it is. In step two, you're saying, okay, I'm willing to believe there's something out there that can, you know, make it better. Yep. Step three is saying, all right, um, I learned that selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of my problems. And that, that is, is a huge portion of what causes me to, to drink yep. and use drugs. And it makes me feel better because when I drink and I use drugs, I have no fear. Right. When I take opiates and I do a shot of heroin, I have no fear. Right. I don't it's gone. It's ease and comfort and it makes me feel good. And I can kind of take a breath for a second because it's masking. It's masking. Yeah. It's covering it. Mm -hmm. Makes me feel whole inside. Um, so 
step three is very much so like, all right, uh, surprise, drugs and alcohol aren't the problem. It's actually you. You're the yeah. problem. Your mind and the way that you think mm -hmm. and the way that you live is the issue. Uh, so we're going to get down to the causes and conditions, which is what brings you to step four. Uh, if I mentor people and, and, and um, help people get sober, I bring them through the first three steps like yep. instantly. Yeah, I could, I could literally sit down with anybody off the street right now and bring them through those first three steps because it's actually really simple as long as they grasp it and, and yep. all of that. So um, step four is, is a, a moral inventory of your resentments, mm -hmm. your fears, and your sex conduct as okay. a person. And you don't know this while you're going through it because you're just on autopilot, like writing out whatever you're told to write out. But uh, what you're doing is you're, you're writing out all these resentments uh, uh, towards um, family members, ex-girlfriends, ex-wives, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And you're writing like, why am I resentful at this person? because of this, uh, how did this resentment affect me as a person? It affected me because it made me feel less than it affected me because of this, it affected yeah. me because of that. And, and then, um, in the end of the resentments, uh, you're forced to take a look in the mirror and look at your part in every single one of those resentments. So this is all part of step four. This is all step four. Um, so basically you go through all these people that you're pissed off at, and you see how it affected you and you see how it, you know, how terrible it was. Mm -hmm. And then you learn after looking at your, your, um, last column of the, the resentment that you had a part in all of it. And yes, people are molested and people are taken right. advantage of, and there are victims out there. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time victims of, uh, any of that stuff learn that, um, they just held on to it you yeah. know, and, yeah. and they don't have to anymore. Right. And it's a very eye opening experience. Yeah. Um, then you look at your fears in the four, in the fourth step and you look at how every time we're in fear, we, we take an action based on self that doesn't rely on God or Buddha or, mm -hmm. or, or literally whatever. Um, and then you look at your, your, uh, sexual sex inventory, which is basically just relationships okay. and how you acted in relationships. And did you arouse jealousy? Did you mm. arouse suspicion, bitterness? Um, where were you selfish, you know, yeah. and you take a really, really hard look at yourself as a person to the core. Um, and in step five, you take all of that stuff and you go over it with another individual. And that can be pretty much anyone normally a, a spiritual person is yep. the best way to do it. Cause they're going to have you look at yourself instead mm -hmm. of co-signing your, your bullshit. So essentially it's saying it out loud, saying it out loud. Okay. Yep. And when you're doing that, uh, that person, um, pulls out defects of character with you while you're reading it out. And, and you learn through that fourth and fifth step that, um, from that third step with the selfishness and self-centeredness, you learn that, uh, you are, or I am, uh, dishonest. I'm manipulative. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm a thief. I steal things. Um, I'm insecure. I'm self-conscious. I feel inferior, uh, all the time. Mm -hmm. So I act superior towards people mm -hmm. and you learn this wealth of knowledge about who you are internally and how you're ran by your character defects yeah. and how I run to my own device 
to my own devices, I am run off of fear and I am run off of defects. And that's what causes me to feel like I am just the lowest person mm-hmm. on this earth and act like I'm the best person on this <laughs> earth. Yeah. You know? um, so, so you learn all of that in the fourth and fifth step and you become free of some dark stuff. If you need to let out some things that happened in life that, you know, no one's heard before. It's, I mean, it sounds like it's just allowing yourself to be completely vulnerable. Completely. When you say that stuff out loud, mm-hmm. that's scary. I'm thinking about it as we, well, as me we and talk you about have it. Done it. Me and you have talked we about it. We did it that. once yep. and it was very uncomfortable, even between you and I, but fascinating to me because you, you it feels so good after mm-hmm. you do it, but you have to get to a place where you're you're vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't think in general in life, any of us do that enough. Um, but I think to, I, I won't understand the addiction side, but to go through it with addiction, I can, I can understand that it's pretty raw, right? (laughs) So it's taking your ego and it's shining a flashlight on it and saying, here's your ego, (laughs) right? Literally grinding it to dust. Right. And when you do that, it hurts. And when you, when you look at your ego in front of someone else or a group of other people, it's physically painful. I've had people throw up during fifth yeah, steps. Yeah, I can because, imagine. Because it's so physically just naked. unbearable and You're naked just, yeah. that you just, you just can't do it, you know? Yeah. So um, after you go through that process, uh, you take this list of character defects from the fourth and fifth step. And you, you, you go look at them. And steps six and seven are... are you're supposed to go meditate for an hour and hmm. sit quietly for an hour after your fist up and instantly do six and seven. That's a long time. And yeah. did, did it take you? I mean, meditation, I love meditation, but that's a long time. It seems like an hour. To yeah, just... it, it is. It's, it's actually not as difficult after you do something like a fist up because there's so much it's that, that yeah. you just took in mm-hmm. that it's kind of like easier to process. Um, if I go try to meditate for an hour right now, I may be like, Oh, I have to work. I have to and it's a constant <laughs> yeah. battle. Yeah. But, uh, in terms of when you, when you do that, you know, I, I literally took that list and my sponsor, my mentor or whatever was like, go back to your room and sit quietly for an hour and, and told me what to do based off of six and seven. So six is, you take a look at those, those defects of character. Mm-hmm. You look at each and every individual one and you say, am I willing for God or the universe or whatever I believe mm-hmm. in to remove this defect from me? Mm-hmm. And um, any of them that you're not willing for, for uh, God to remove, you say, I need, please help me be willing. And step seven is simply saying a, a prayer Mm-hmm. Um, that is asking for God or the universe, uh, mm-hmm. to remove those defects from mm-hmm. you. That is all step six and seven are. Okay. And they're really powerful because, um, what I've learned through that is I try to break everything. Like when I'm reading, uh, these 12 steps or when I'm learning about something, I'm like, there's no way this can be real because of X, Y, and Z. Right. So I was like, oh, okay. So you mean that I ask God or whatever to remove these defects. And then all of a sudden I'm just not a liar anymore. Right. That doesn't, that, that doesn't add up to me. That doesn't equate. So what I learned was, um, no, I am still a a dishonest person. Mm -hmm. However, the way step six and seven in this, this 12 step program works is, um, when I lie now, uh, because I truly was willing to have dishonesty removed. When I lie now, I will physically stutter 
and feel sick to my stomach. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, it's so amazing how your conscience works mm -hmm. and how, how this program works with, with, uh, life in general. And it carries into work and, and personal relationships. And, uh, you know, if you ask me a question and, and, and I'm trying to lie to you, you're going to know that I'm lying. Yeah. And I used to be the best liar yes. and manipulator you could ever find. Yeah. I was, I was a genius at it and For felt sure. nothing, mm -hmm. felt nothing when I was lying. Uh, another random one is, is littering. Like that wasn't even on my <laughs> list, but for some reason I, I used to do it a lot when I was in uh, addiction. And for some reason, like if I'm on the golf course and I'm passing by like a napkin that blew out of a, a golf cart or something, if I pass it, I will literally have to turn around and go back and pick it up because it will eat me alive. Why did you litter before? That was just a know. habit. Yeah. I don't know. Huh. I don't know. Interesting. It just was a thing. Um, so, so step six and seven is, is really pulling out, looking at those defects that were pulled out and saying, okay, I'm ready for these to be removed. Yeah. I want to be a different person. And that leads you into steps eight and nine, which, uh, step eight is making a list of all the people that you've caused harm to mm -hmm. and exactly what you've done and basically setting up appointments to go make these amends to people, which is really scary. Yeah. I can imagine. Really, really scary. Uh, one of them was a lady, I stole a wedding ring from a lady. Um, and, and I had to contact them and say, you know, I owe you guys amends because I, I stole a wedding ring from you and had to pay them back for that. Ugh. Um, those are difficult scenarios. However, I, I have completed all, all of my amends as a person and, and I don't have to live looking around my shoulder anymore. Yeah. I, that probably feels amazing. feels amazing. It's difficult in the moment, but like. Yeah. After you do it, um, that's really when uh, a lot of people believe that you become returned to sanity around drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. And step two, when you're you're trying to be willing to believe that there's something out there, normally when you're in step nine, step two becomes clear and they kind of connect yeah. and it connects all of them. Because you're just laying everything out on the table. You're laying everything out on the table and then you see how your life unfolds after that happens. The amends, are they as big and small as they could be? I yeah. mean, could it just be as small as, hey, I lied to you about, you know, not being able to come to your party? Yep. Literally <laughs> so anything you can think of. Is it meant to be everything big and small? Or everything that you can think of. I okay. mean, there's plenty of people that I caused harm to that I'll never remember. Marty, right. I stole 50 bucks from Marty and, and yeah. you know, when we were you know in the locker room, he's one of my best friends in the entire world. And I had to approach him and say, Hey man, you know, I did this. And he was, of course, he's like, you're not giving me $50. I don't care. Right. But, uh, all the way from that to, uh, you know, a wedding ring or, mm -hmm. um, just, there are people that I told, uh, I was so, I, I told people that I was sober, um, mm -hmm. who were her friends of mine. And, and I had to approach them and say like, Hey, I sat down with you and had lunch with you and, and looked you in the eye and lied to you about the fact that I was, I was sober when I was actually using. Yeah. And, and um, you're actually amending relationships. You're, right. you're mending relationships and you're, and you're, you're doing, you're, you're putting things back into the universe that you took. Right. And you're supposed to put back everything 
into the universe that you took to the best of your ability. Right. And what starts to happen is you start to see that your life becomes clear and it starts to unfold and you aren't trying as hard to force happiness and force things to go your way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's one through nine. Okay. One through nine. So what comes next? So, uh, after steps one through nine, um, you have, 10, 11, and 12 steps, 10, 11, and 12 are basically steps one through nine, um, between the three of them. And it's what I will have to do if I want to stay sober and stay spiritually fit, uh, for the rest of my life. Okay. Um, so step 10 is, this is something that I actually went into a conference room at the tech company I was working at. And we were with a few executives and a a, a couple of vice presidents and, you know, big wigs or whatever. And I was just a manager at the time, like this low level manager. (laughs) Uh, So like burnout kid who's like, whatever. (laughs) Trying to take on the world. And they're talking about, um, they're talking about what they do to relieve stress as people. And I was able to actually take steps 10 and 11 uh, from this program and explain it to this group of people and say, this is what I do to stay clear and, and, and uh, remain stress-free. And the reason why is because step 10 is uh, you continue to look for uh, fear, dishonesty, selfishness, um, and resentment. Uh, those four things you're, you're supposed to look for throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And, and if they pop up um, throughout the day or throughout life, you're supposed to ask God, whatever you have learned to believe in through this process. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're supposed to ask um, to have that resentment or, or that lie you told to be removed. Okay. So you say, please remove this resentment for me. It's not going to serve me. It's not going to serve anyone else. Just as they come up. As they come up. Okay. Yep. Which is difficult. Yeah. Because when you're <laughs> pissed, when you're mad at somebody, you want to be mad at them. Yeah. Because how could they do that? I get know? mad at that lady that cut me off on the road. It's over. It's over. <laughs> Please release it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so you ask for the, that to be removed. Um, you tell somebody about it right away and it doesn't need to be someone else who's in recovery. It can be anyone. You can just be like, Hey, I need to talk to you real quick. I'm really pissed off at my manager at work right now because I believe she talked down to me and, and mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada or I believe this person did this to me, or, Hey, that person just cut me off in in the middle of the road and I hate them right now. Um, and then you make, it says, after you tell someone about it, you make amends quickly. If you've caused harm Mm -hmm. through that situation, and then you resolutely turn yourselves to someone that you can help. Mm -hmm. And that is it. That is it. It's really simple. And, and what you find is, uh, it's kind of like a, a practice that throughout time you start to get really good at where if I'm driving down the road and someone cuts me off now, if I'm in a good place, if I'm in a bad place, I let that resentment, you know, fester. Yeah. If I'm in a good place, I'll be like, I hate that piece of shit, you know, whatever. <laughs> they cut me off. They're a bad person. And then I go, Oh man, I, I really shouldn't be resentful right now, but I don't know how not to be resentful. Mm-hmm. And then you go through and, and if I can work through it on my own, I can, if not, I call someone, but, Typically I can work through it on my own because I, I can recognize that like, I have no idea what that person is going through in life. Right. They could have a, a husband that just died. They could have a kid that just died. They could just have gotten fired from their job. 
I have no idea what that person's going through. And it's not, it's not going to, to serve me or anyone around me to sit here and hate that person. Yeah. Uh, instead of that, why not? I try to put some good energy their way and be like, you know, man, that person might be having a rough day. If only we could all think that way. It's, <laughs> it's day, crazy, right? right? It's, it's, and that's kind of where this whole spiritual concept comes yeah. into play is it, it, it's, it becomes a working part of your mind yeah. after practicing, practicing so much bigger it. than, than just the addiction. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's step 10. And then step, tw- uh, step 11 is, is a, a, a nightly inventory and, and also prayer and meditation. That's, that's, it's kind of both. So uh, a nightly inventory is something that I literally have three groups of people in my phone right now that I could pull up and all three groups of people send nightly inventories to mm. each other. Uh, it's probably a total of like 15 people. Okay. And at night, uh, what we're supposed to do when we retire at night is we're supposed to look at uh, what we missed in step 10 throughout the day. Hmm. So basically uh, it says we, we look at where were we resentful? Where were we selfish? Where were we dishonest? Uh, were we kind and loving towards all? Do we owe an apology? What could we have done better? Um, uh, were, we, were we thinking of ourselves most of the day? Or are we thinking of what we could pack into the stream of life? Hmm. So basically you're taking a look at a really good, hard look at yourself and a short list of things and saying, where was I really at today? Yeah. You know, and a lot of the time it's like, wow, it, it's interesting. And, th- and this is what I brought up in the, in the meeting with all those executives and stuff. I was like, well, at the end of the day, I take a look at, you know, where I was at mentally throughout that day and, <laughs> and assess who I am and, and, and how I was acting. And if I was resentful at employees or if I was acting selfish at work mm-hmm. and you know, what you find when you, when you take a look at that stuff is you're like, man, I was resentful at my boss at work, but I literally spent three hours doing absolutely nothing. Right. Because of it. Because of it. And it's like, who's the worst person in that scenario? Or <laughs> does that make me a better person for right. it? You know? And it, it helps you look at yourself and clear that that list of defects yeah. that pop up through time. It helps you keep a, 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 a clear conscience. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I find that if I don't do nightly inventories for a while, I start to kind of act out as a yeah. person and I can lie a little bit more and yeah. I can become more resentful towards people. And it's kind of almost like this, this daily checklist of, um, are you spiritually fit right now? And, and, you know, where are you yeah. uh, with, with yourself? Um, and then also in step 11, it's morning meditations, like waking up and, and setting yourself for the day. So you can be aware enough to see, uh, when these defects of character pop up and, mm. and everything, uh, and, and, and also, um, placing yourself in the morning when you wake up to be as useful as you can possibly be to the people around, around you. Um, so that's 10 and 11, very much like introspection and, and, yeah. and, uh, self-awareness, mm-hmm. right? Step 12 is, uh, helping other people get sober yeah. and, 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 uh, being useful to other people. So pretty simply like finding people to help and, and yeah. be of service to, and, uh, this is the key component in the 12 step program that, um, 
I believe it is what keeps you sober. Yeah. Uh, because when you are helping other people and, and you are living in steps 10 and 11, you're in fit spiritual condition to, to, if you are tempted to drink or use, um, like I mentioned earlier, you recoil from it. Like it's a hot flame. And, and a lot of people say like that insanity is trying the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And, and it's actually a little bit different than that. Um, it's, the lack of the proportion of the ability to think straight. And um, when talking about step one and talking about your mental obsession and your physical allergy and stuff, uh, you can't fix your broken mind with your own broken mind. Yeah. So you use these tools and you use helping others and, and living in steps 10 and 11 to uh, uh, not live by just your mind, but also your, your spirit or, or your, your, free conscience. Yeah. And, um, in since March of, of 2011, I've been pretty strict about this stuff, but mm -hmm. like you'll go a week and not do a lot of it. And yeah. you know, it's like you're in dangerous territory if you do that. Yeah. Cause and you feel a difference when you don't. Yeah. A hundred percent. I feel, I know, I know when I'm in not a, when I'm not in a good place now and, yeah. and it's because I'm not putting my feet to the ground, you right. know? And, um, and, since 2011, I, I have not, there has not been a single day that I have struggled to stay sober. Yeah. I was going to ask you that. I remember when you actually have a photo, I think of the first time you came home from Texas of you and I, which we can post as well, but what, like how hard was it, I guess, then being around alcohol? Like, I mean, again, coming back to coming away from the, the world that you were like, just exposed to that was like you're hyper focused on your recovery was it was it hard to come back to a setting where now you're back in the quote real world and you know people are having drinks and there, there's other stuff mm -hmm. going on around was it was it hard no, not not even remotely close to hard and, and I don't say that in a cocky way yeah um or or in a way where I'm like no I swore that off so I'm never gonna do it yeah. it truly uh, the, the problem has been removed. Yeah. The problem that my mind, uh, will try to convince me that I can do it like a normal person has been removed. And I'm also internally whole mm -hmm. as a person because of, of all of this stuff that I just talked about yeah. that I don't need to take a drink or take a drug to make me feel better. Right. Because I have tools in place that that truly and genuinely make me feel a warm sensation within mm -hmm. that that um, I wake up and I'm a free man. And that warm sensation you, sensation used to come from heroin. Your solution, heroin, is, yeah, right. alcohol, uh, cocaine, anything. Yeah, that literally, it, it's it's that was the solution to my problems was drugs and alcohol, and, right. Um, it's so interesting that you learned through this, that it, it's, it's qu quite a, a interesting concept that I am the problem and it's not drugs and alcohol. Yeah, for sure. Uh, talk about, uh, on the 12 step, just a little more talk about sponsoring people and, and helping people. Um, is it a lot? Like how, what, talk more about that. I mean, it's, it's your, you said, go find people to help. Mm -hmm. I mean, I assume within your, or the community that you were around at that time, it's, you know, there's people that are also struggling. So you help each other, mm -hmm. but, um, I know you've grown to have, you know, 
a great base of, of people that you help. Mm-hmm. Um, is it fairly easy? Is it uh, a lot of work? <laughs> so it is a lot of work. So you'll, I mean, I'll find myself, you know, somebody will call me and be like, Hey, I really need to meet up with you today to go, uh, to go over some things or mm-hmm. I'll schedule a time for Tuesday for me and this guy or girl to go meet up and go through some, some steps or whatever. And a lot of the time I'll be like, I don't want to go do this. Yeah. Like I genuinely have zero desire to go sit down <laughs> with this person and go do this. And, and what, what I've found is that, uh, there hasn't been a single time that I've gone over to go work with somebody where I left feeling that same way. Yeah. Every single time I get to go sit down and do work with, with somebody, um, it's the most fulfilling experience you could ever imagine. That's great. And, uh, you know, not everybody stays sober, Yeah. but, um, as long as I am helping or attempting to help those people, I stay sober. Right. So it's, it's, people will be like, Oh, well that's selfish. You know, it's a selfish program. It's like, it's not really selfish. I'm freely giving myself to people because that's what was, that's what I was told to do. Yep. And a lot of people get better. Talk now too about, and, and that's a good point. I know that there is an element, well, a, a huge part of, of recovery in itself. You went, you went three times and you said that pretty much all three times you were actually ready to get better. How mm-hmm. critical is it for somebody to be ready on their own? Like they have to be willing to get better, right? Or talk about that a little bit. Cause I've heard varying mm-hmm. opinions, I guess, on, um, you know, as, as a family member, if you know someone struggling, send them to rehab they're going to get better. Are they really going to get better if you just send them? I mean, I guess it depends. I just so expand I worked, on that a little bit. I worked at a treatment facility and that was actually kind of like something that I, cause I, if you asked me that when I first got sober, I'd be like, if they're not willing or if they're not ready, they're not going to get better. But I did see people go into treatment who showed up and they were like, I was forced to come here. It yeah. was an intervention or my parents, you know, forced me to come here. My husband or my wife forced me to come here. And then like something shifted after a couple weeks or even after a month yeah. in their thinking where they were like, oh shit, I'm an alcoholic or I'm a drug addict. Mm-hmm. Like look at my life right now. It just takes some people a little bit longer to have those experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't really say, you know, with certainty. What I can say is that the majority of the time, if I sit down with somebody who isn't going through treatment or even if they are going through treatment, because there's a lot of people that get better without going to rehab. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's important to know that that's possible because people don't, a lot of people don't have the means to go because yeah. it can yeah. be expensive. Um, but there are people that I have sat down with or that people sit down with to, to help get sober. And if they are not convinced that they are, truly a real alcoholic or a real drug addict. Uh, it tells you to, to, you know, if they're not convinced of that, that they need to go try some controlled drinking or mm-hmm. using, we don't, we aren't told to, you know, say, Hey, you need to go use <laughs> yeah, drugs because yeah, you, you think you're normal. <laughs> but I have sat down with somebody and, and they were like, look, I just don't really think I'm there yet. I just, you know, want these problems in my life to go away. And I've, I've said, look, man, if you're not convinced of this, I, I, I can't help you. Mm-hmm. So I think in treatment, it's a little bit different than out yeah. in the streets. Yeah. 
but important. I mean, if, if a family member is wondering what the heck to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, you know, it's okay to, to go seek help for them. Go seek help, go help seek for them, help yeah. for them. And, and, um, it, that's helpful to know that it, you know, again, I think, I think I thought, well, go seek help um, for yourself. Actually. I think that it's, it's, I think that if they are not willing to get better, yeah, there are programs out there, uh, for family members to go seek help for themselves because the family members are normally affected more than the addicts and alcoholics themselves. I can tell you right now, the pain that I experienced through addiction and, and alcoholism from the bottom of my heart, I know for a fact, it wasn't as bad as what mom and dad and you and Megan went through. I know that for a fact, because when you're in it and you're in that world, you're like, I don't really care if I die or whatever. The family has to sit there and watch their, their, um, son or spouse or whoever friend, whoever it is, they have to watch them suffer and they have to imagine how terrible it must be for that person. And, um, they, they get the brunt of, of all of it. It's really hard. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, but I, again, I think that in being open to learning about it and to your point, going to get help and and to understand this disease more helped me, I'll just speak for myself for this point, helped me so much. Yeah. Still learning. I am having a blast still learning from you too, because it's just, it's become such a big part of our lives. And as soon as that was introduced via you, all of a sudden it's like these people appeared out of nowhere, everywhere, everywhere. And that is, we could talk about that why we're doing this, right? It's, it's almost like you, you automatically gain this weird family of, Oh, me too. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, my son, my cousin, my neighbor, my whatever, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden they appear and I, when I opened myself up to learning because I realized I can't do anything to help you. And you're not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of it. And, and I, I didn't know how to feel about it at the beginning. I don't think, but I'm and not because ashamed, you're of not ashamed of it. People at work, you'll, you're, you're open about the fact oh my that gosh. you have a family member who was a drug addict. People at work will go yes. sit down with you and be like, my sister can't stop doing this or my, yeah. my, brother my mom can't stop yeah. drinking and they'll say like can you help me and you're able to to it, this whole thing of recovery and, and uh being open about it and awareness helps and affects so many people so many people and i've had a lot of fun with it now because i know this stuff and i'm still learning every day there's no way i'll ever know all of it and you won't either it's just kind of like you know it's it's just for all of us to continue to understand Uh, but for me to be able to feel proud of you, you know, because you dedicated this time yourself and you determined like, Hey, I'm going to, you know, give myself up to this thing and and get spiritual and and understand this because you decided to do this and were able to do it. Uh, you made everyone better around you. And I want to scream that. Right. (laughs) And, and I think it's still such a taboo thing for most people. Um, but I can, I can relate. I was there at one point where, you first hear the news that you were struggling and your initial reaction is no, nah, that's not my brother. No, nah, he's not. This isn't a real, this isn't a real thing. Right. Or this is going to be embarrassing or how the heck am I going to deal with this? Mm-hmm. You, the, it's the weirdest feeling at first when you it's are almost like grieving. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. And it's 
very confusing and you run the gamut of emotions and um, eventually you get to the point where you are willing. I think for me, because I am, I, I think of myself as a fixer and I try, I always want to be there. I always want to help. Um, I love being that person to people in my life. I, I, when told I can't do anything again, I said earlier in the, in the last episode, I, I was not able to engage with this thing. I'm not allowed to, cause that's, that's what I'm supposed to do is just kind of like, you know, throw my hands up essentially and, and just show you love. I think learning about the disease and understanding it as deeply as I could became the way that I could help you, mm-hmm. I guess, in a weird roundabout way. Others. Right. And mm-hmm. help others. And mom and dad and Megan, they like everyone, everyone is like, yeah, my brother was a drug addict. He's in recovery. Like yeah. if you ever know anyone that's struggling yeah. with it, let me know. And, and it's pretty amazing how many people come out of left field and mm-hmm. are like, Hey, I haven't ever told anyone this, but we've been dealing with this for five years yeah. or whatever. And it's like, just them being able to tell one person about it who's been through it is, is it opens a door for people to heal and yeah. get better. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. And I can't think of one time that I've, whatever opportunity it was to post or say it out loud or, you know, and you know, a lot of times in a room, when you say it, people kind of get squirmish and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And that's the exact reason that you and I are talking about this very openly is because there hasn't been one time that I've brought this up where somebody has not come and, and sought help, yeah. you know, or uh, said, Oh, wow. Yeah. Actually I've, I've experienced that yeah. before. And that's why when I meet people, if, if they're like, Hey, do you want to drink? And I'll be like, no, I'm in recovery. I used to be a heroin addict. Yeah. <laughs> Meeting them for within two seconds. Yep. And some people that have been with me, I won't like mention names or anything. have been like, that makes me uncomfortable. Or, you know, if you say that around me, like, I don't really know. And, and, and I'm like, it will, here's the deal. Like, I don't know what that person has experienced in life. And, and I want them to know that I used to be a drug addict right. and a heroin addict, right. no matter what the scenario is, because they may be dying from their own yep. struggles or from someone that they know. And, uh, it never fails. Just like you were saying, mm-hmm. like when I tell people like, yeah, I'm in recovery because I used to be, you know, addicted to drugs or I was a heroin addict or whatever. Yeah. They're like, can you tell me more about that? Or yep. wow, that's crazy. My dad's in recovery or yeah. wow, that's crazy. Like my dad died of a heroin overdose or right. wow, you know, anything. What's interesting to me is you, you know, somebody comes down with cancer and you know, we say, Oh my, my aunt or, you know, my neighbor has cancer. Everyone goes, Oh, you know, what can we do? You know, how can we help? What's so funny is a lot of the time with addiction. Oh my, you know, my brother's an addict. It's like, Ooh. Oh yeah. Oh my. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. That's, that is crazy. Yeah. I don't know what to, to say. It's the and same thing. it should thing. be the it's, same reaction as cancer. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Anything. It is a disease. Yes. Mental illness, everything that, everything that's quite heightened right now in the world, the solution. And as we are learning is to talk about it. Yep. Let's freaking blow this up and talk about it. Let's right. Everybody aware. Of Acknowledge it. it. So this is a fun start. We're going to, we're going to do a lot more and I'm, I'm pumped to hear other stories and um, to continue yours. And uh, yeah, I'm having a blast. Me too. What about you? Thank you for the, the education on the 12 steps too. I think all these basic things that we hear all the time, it's so important to get down to brass tacks on this because I, there's, I think a lot of um, times 
when we don't know about things, we just assume or we make up what we think they are uh, versus actually learning um, and educating ourselves. So great education for today. Yep. And I think uh, next time, let's just talk about more about what what family and friends can do. I, you know, you've you've pulled out of this. You're, um, it, for the lack of a better term, and I think you're helping people. We're starting to spread the wealth. It's it's amazing. But let's continue and um, and talk more next time. Sounds great. Love you. Love you too.